This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, friends and bad movie lovers. Welcome back to another episode of Bad Movies We Love. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. You heard the man, and the resistance is growing. This show passed 1,000 downloads and did it in only about 20 episodes, so that's a nice little milestone for an independent show like this one. That also means that you, the listeners, are out there spreading the word like a virus, but that is much appreciated. The donations page is also live now at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash bad movies we love. And for today's episode, I have a very special treat as my future wife, my fiance Kristen, joins me to talk about a film that she has a personal connection to and also a movie that I wouldn't be surprised to see in Quentin Tarantino's personal collection. And that's Jessica Benninger's Stick It from 2006. It felt very much like this is like a go big or go home and we don't really care. Super weird in a very enjoyable way. The film was made because of the time it was at, not the other way around. How annoying is it watching gymnastics with me? You did get a deduction if you picked your wedgie. Oh my god, I do this all the time. You can push some artistry on the beam, but you're focusing on staying on that four-inch piece of wood. It's amazing. I mean, I don't think that's where they're making their money. I'm just saying it's fun. <laughs> the devil's candy, boys. And away we go. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for finally agreeing to come on. It's the long-awaited fiance-sode. <laughs> the fiance-episode. Sure, that works. But uh, we're going to be talking about Stick It. We pivoted. We we jumped all over the place. We had initially talked about, what was it? High School Musical 3. High School Musical 3. And then we ended up watching three and watching one, but not two. We still have to watch two. Instead, we watched Lemonade Mouth, <laughs> which was just in a phase of I wanted to watch movies, and I was just going to let you pick whatever. As long as it was a movie, it was fine. So I ran with that control. I had to. You did. Uh, it was it was fun. High School Musical 3 wasn't bad. Uh, it could have made the cut for this show, um, but I don't know why... You ended up pivoting, or I don't even know how we got to stick it. Do you remember? Yeah, we were watching the uh, championship competition with Simone Biles, although we still need to watch the last day. Mm. And something came up about, I think, just talking about gymnastics in general, and I was like, stick it. Okay, fair enough. I think. I, (laughs) I mean, I remember it was we were watching the gymnastics, so... Okay, I couldn't remember if that was before or after, but... We, we watched it, and and then 
watch Stick It the next night or that same night. Okay, that seems to add up. But I will ask you, I mean, what I typically ask my guests. Oh, thanks for also clearing your schedule for me, too. Yeah, I mean, it's 10 o'clock at night, but... <laughs> I mean, we, we tried to make this happen on Saturday and then Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And here we are, Thursday night. Better late than never. Yeah, burning the midnight oil. It's fine. I've got all day to edit this tomorrow. Um, but why did you choose Stick It? Like, what, what connected the dots with that movie and then using that for this show? I think it was just to try and get you to watch it. And then I was like, this has to qualify as a bad movie, but I love it. And I don't, I don't know that it aged entirely well. I can see why I loved it so much at the time. And plus, it was the first, like, mainstream theatrical movie based on gym, uh, gymnastics. So I was like, why not? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I have a not? long list I could have got, pulled from just to get you to watch those bad movies with me yeah like a mom for christmas but yes. everybody seems to like that movie I so that i don't movie. even think that qualifies uh but just some numbers for the people at home uh stick it is from 2006 and it has a tomato score of 32 percent <laughs> critic score but it has an audience score of 73 percent and uh if you look at the IMDb score, it has an average user rating of 6.3, meta score of 53. But then again, on uh, Letterboxd, it's a three and a half. So it's a seven out of 10. So I think generally people seem to like this movie, um, but critics were more harsh, more dismissive of it than the people that watched it. So since you pick the movie i want to i want to hear you explain why you think people would say this is a bad movie um i mean i would say the humor even some of the acting is pretty cheesy but it's also what i love about bad movies they they definitely knew it and ran with it I don't think it was like they were trying to be really serious and it just came off poorly. Um, plus, I think the other reason why we brought it up, something had come up about the, the lead actress, which, you know, I'm a fan. So I think that's why I connected the other. Missy dog. and Peregrine. Yes, Missy. Um, but I would say, especially in in the gymnastics world. I mean, it's pretty spot on how you can see the cattiness. So I don't know. I don't know why people really hated it. Like I said, at the time, it came out in 2006. That means we were 22. Not to age us too much. But, no. and again, first theatrical movie for a gymnastics movie. I don't remember hearing at the time it was being reviewed poorly. But watching it now, kind of like we've talked about some of the other movies we've watched, like with your film club. It got away with a lot of things because it was 2006 and it wouldn't go over well at all right now. So I think that's why I think I view it as what that, you know, bad movie could be. Yeah, it's not malicious in its intent, but no. it is dated very heavily <laughs> very. towards the early 2000s. A lot of the wardrobe choices uh, are very specific to that time period and were echoed in uh, Hostel, 
when I covered that sh- movie not too recently on the show, uh, that same sort of T-shirts with the long white, long sleeve white undershirt underneath it, the like really long cargo shorts with way too many pockets. I mean, like, <laughs> have I dressed like that in the past? Yes, of course I have. But <laughs> that's how I knew it was 2005. Uh, <laughs> um. But you had mentioned, you know, we were watching gymnastics and, you know, we went to the gymnastics, uh, was it the Gold Star Tour at what used to be Staples Center? Yeah, when the, the, the tour they do after the Olympics. And I think for context, so that people understand why we're casually watching gymnastics on like a Tuesday night, uh, <laughs> why don't you explain, I mean... I can give some background. You were a gymnast for a very long period of time. Um, but can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, I mean, that was it. At the time when it came out, I was coaching gymnastics after retiring from being a gymnast myself. And it was a big event for us to be able to take all the kids that we were coaching. I think it even came out in the summer. I think we made it like a summer camp thing and just made it as a field trip that you know, during a gymnastic summer camp, we get to go see a movie about gymnastics, which wasn't happening, um, especially at the time. I don't even think it's still happened since, to be honest, as far as a theatrical movie goes. But um, it was an it was a, an event to or that we could make event out of it. It, it does have a very TV movie quality mm-hmm. to it in the way that is presented at times but it's mixed with some really good filmmaking at times as well and uh this is jessica benninger who wrote bring it on so this is sort of piggybacking on the success of that and banking on a little bit but i think if you were to line the two movies up next to each other you would see that the let's call it cinematic quality of bring it on is substantially stronger than that of stick it, but stick it does uh, have some great moments in it. And when I was just like casually watching it, you saw me like taking pictures of the television because there's a lot of scenes in the movie where sort of the choreography and the cinematography blend very well together and it does some unique things. And I really appreciated that more than I thought, but there's also a lot of like, red backdrops which you know i'm a sucker for red as we just saw the 40th anniversary of christine (laughs) one of my favorite films uh that's for another episode no that's not a bad movie at all i mean i said another episode not this show that's true i know i'll force somebody else to watch it but (laughs) (laughs) um but since uh, what were your active years as a gymnast not like the year but like your age range Well, I would say because I grew up in a recreational setting, I didn't grow up in a competition setting um, because we didn't have a competition team until I was later in my teens. But I mean, I started at a year and a half to two years old in like tumble gym, kind of like dance studio gymnastics. And then I went to the gym that I pretty much became a gym brat in and grew up in. I want to say I was three to four. I think I was three. So for 13 plus years in that gym as a gymnast, um, and then I was coaching while doing gymnastics for a big portion of it, but I got injured and that's why I retired. 
and just stuck with coaching until I didn't do that anymore. Do you have any interest in sharing that injury? <laughs> if it's not TMI, I think it's fine. Yeah. Yes, I, I dislocated <laughs> and broke my tailbone. And you did that how? On the balance beam. And I asked because there's a scene in this film where one of the gymnasts falls hard on the balance beam. And it's like just from a stunt perspective, it's such a good bump. Like I think that's what they would call it like in the wrestling business when you take a fall a particular way and like it looks good on camera. So it's like I, I doubt that they would ask this gymnast to injure themselves intentionally for the purpose of the film. But you also have to be a very good gymnast in order to fall like that and not actually <laughs> hurt yourself. And there is some focus around uh, injuries and stuff in this film as well. And because you have such a personal connection to the sport and this was such a big deal at the time as a result. Like, do you feel like you would have connected with this film? Like, had you not been into gymnastics? Because it's like, like I said, it feels almost like a Disney movie or Nickelodeon original movie at times. So it may have even ended up on one of those channels. Uh, but one of the things this movie does well, at least from an outsider perspective, is that it seems to, uh, address a lot of the actual tangible issues with the sport in a not so direct way that it's off-putting to the people that would actually go see it in theaters but for the people that know they'll know kind of thing um yeah absolutely i think even that watching it then versus now with hindsight in the in the picture i would say in, yeah, if you're completely removed from the gymnastics world in general, or even if you're part of it to a certain degree, but you're not really submerged in the politics, you can say, that comes around with it, I would say a lot of those kind of hidden cues or those hidden um, or just more subtle storylines of what they're poking at would definitely be missed by pretty much anyone that is not submerged in that background politics for sure and i would also say that between 2006 and 20 what 21 22 a lot more stuff came to light publicly and gymnastics also had the benefit of having a superstar kind of athlete in simone biles that brought a lot more attention and awareness and coverage to the sport that maybe wasn't there 20 years ago um but I would say it's probably a fairly safe bet to suggest that the vast majority of critics that were tasked with reviewing this movie were not gymnasts and had no idea about what was going on in the sport well enough to actually understand the depth of the context. Absolutely. And they were probably almost all male. Yeah. Well... I didn't review the movie at the time <laughs> because I was not writing about film at the time. That's not a dig at you. I'm I just know. saying like, I, I yeah, it's, I, it's, I won't get pulled up. Well, it's easy to sort of look the other way when you don't know and when you don't want to know. 
And so, like, if you work for some random newspaper or magazine that's going to send you to review this film, and you go into it and you only see the sort of, like, technical proficiency of it, and, like I said, that TV movie quality and some of the acting and some of the dialogue choices with some of the actors, I think it's very easy just to be like, this movie's terrible, and then walk out and leave it at that. But having not seen it until after knowing all of the breaking news that came out of it, uh, we watched a, a documentary and we watched a couple of documentaries on the sport as well. We've gone to see it in person. We watched the Olympics together. We were watching the trials together. Um, well, the trials and the Olympic trials together. <laughs> but I think it probably was easy to dismiss this as just sort of like uh, a bring it on clone you know, where everybody can very easily identify cheerleaders. So I think it's a little bit easier to just swallow that storyline as something that everybody can relate to. And then you see this and it's like, okay, well, this is just copying that formula, but with a more narrow scope kind of thing. If I remember correctly, I, I'm pretty sure they advertise this as the bring it on for gymnastics. I mean, I would. Yeah, because Bring It On was very successful. Yeah, I mean, I loved Bring It On. I still love it. I mean, yeah, I haven't me watched too. it as an adult at this point, probably, but it was a huge deal at the time. Next time. <laughs> okay, next episode. Um, <clears throat> it was a huge deal at the time, especially. So, and I feel like they were not even 10 years apart. I don't remember, but it was definitely. Yeah, it was like two or three. Advertised. I can, I feel like that way. Okay, so Bring It On was in 2000, this is 2006, so within 10 years. Yeah, less than 10 years. Um, but let's uh, take a look at the trailer and we'll see, because I, I didn't watch it yet. I never do. I always wait until we can do the trailer reaction with the guest, so let's okay. take a look at that. Before we get to the trailer, it's time for a quick word from our sponsor. Training for the Olympics is hard work, and when you spend all day on the mats honing your skills, you don't exactly have time to think about what snacks are going to give you a competitive advantage. Well, now you don't have to, thanks to Wizzy Twists, the new high-performance athletic snack designed by gold medal winning gymnasts and latest trendy artificial intelligence. Wizzy Twists may look like Twizzlers and taste like a more delicious version of Red Vines, but these power performance snacks come loaded with antioxidants, packed with protein, laced with collagen, and spiked with a hint of green tea caffeine to keep you going strong all day long. And they do all that with no added sugar. So grab a pack of Wizzy Twists and take a bite out of the competition. And now, back to the show. Every day, I break the law of gravity. It's lines like that. <laughs> I love it, though. And sometimes other laws get yeah. broken in the process. We didn't even get to talk about the point where this movie starts with, like, a skateboarders versus BMX riders lucky, backyard competition. Instead, I got sent back to the world. I thought it escaped forever. I mean... Welcome to the Vickerman Gymnastics Academy. What is she doing here? Why all the hate? When you walk out on finals She's got and the, like, the Von Dutch trucker hat gold, look it's with not the, personal. It's national. the sweater and the Come out of retirement camo mid-shin shorts. Cargo. I mean, the soundtrack for this movie, too. Jealous, Haley. Can you tell Joanne that I'm going to do a real dismount? Haley's going to do a real dismount. Put down the phone. Haley! <laughs> now we work one way around here. That's my way. 
Or we can call the judge. You decide. <gasps> Way to build trust. I couldn't resist. I wonder how they got Jeff Bridges to sign on to this. I know. That was I mean, what was final. he doing in 2006? It's not called Jim Neistat. I mean, Arlington Road was like late yeah, 90s. Like, it's coming up in a couple he, of weeks. He had to this get another one in the late 90s, too. Uh, if you think that I'm getting on this competition, I think it was White Squall was him. Some boating movie. Senile. You gonna hurt yourself? Probably. Just don't get blood on the equipment. Zing. <laughs> okay, guys, let it rip. Dreamy, eat Matt. You eat Matt Hart. <laughs> Get in the truck. You, no I mean, one good so thing that the trailer does do is it actually shows like a lot of the the actual gymnastics that happen in the movie. So this isn't a movie that like, hey, it's about gymnastics, but we're not going to actually show you gymnastics like there's a lot of actual real competition gymnastics going on and they have olympians they do yeah but in order to actually have this movie work and show functional gymnastics you needed actual gymnasts oh yeah absolutely and i mean there's some other cameos in there like i mean not uh, Nastia Lucan mm-hmm. is in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Carly she- Patterson's in it. Nadia Comaneci's in it. She does have like a guest spot later yeah. cameo. Because there's a reference or there's a line at the during the part where they're outside with the boys or something inside, I think. I can't remember where they're like, don't be a Nadia or something or do. A- Who died and made you Nadia? Something like that. There you oh. go. Oh, you took a note for it. Oh, I took notes for a lot of this, <laughs> but we already covered the BMX stuff. Um, we ever co- already covered it being like wild and dated, but there are a lot of needle drops, as the trailer would suggest. It definitely shows off its soundtrack, for better or worse. I mean, it, but it does have a musical quality to it, which we talked about. It seems like it's almost paced where you're conditioned to like expect musical numbers out of it and maybe it's because we watched high school musical and lemonade mouth and it sort of feels like it's cut from the same cloth as that but there are some moments where it feels like if we were watching a stage show right and there's no singing though but there's some stuff where you could say like it's mm, dancing. I mean, there's a lot of choreographed stuff in there. Uh, and there's some synchronized choreographed stuff, which actually comes across pretty well on camera when they want uh, to do that. But I do, I'm going to ask you, this is the question that I know you were like trying to get pre-screened questions here, but I told <laughs> you that just because we're engaged doesn't mean I'm going to give you the questions before we do the show. <laughs> Fine. So I want to ask you, how annoying is it watching gymnastics with me? <laughs> because I did not compete in gymnastics. I don't know the sport very well. And you competed in it and trained in it for a long, long time. And we, wa- we watch it together. And, you know, I have a lot of questions. And so I'm just curious, like... Is, is it really annoying to me to like have me sitting there asking you questions constantly about it? No, not at all. 
That's a hilarious question. No. <laughs> um, no, I think especially because obviously the two of us, you are the more uh, knowledgeable one around sports. Most sports. Yeah. Most sports. Like, I know gymnastics and I know gymnastics. I never once would have thought at all that that your questions would have been annoying. I like being able to answer questions. And then I also am like, I don't know, sometimes because I've been removed for so long and I don't like the new scoring system still. I will be that old school stickler, but it sort of makes sense. Um, but no, I, I like being able to answer those questions. Okay. I guess from my perspective, there was always this thing of like guys don't like watching football with girls that ask a lot of questions kind of thing. And like you weren't a big football fan when we first got together and we started watching it. And I was like, for me, it was always like, I don't care if you ask questions, like if you're genuine and you want to know, then yeah, that's great. Uh, and like, I can't answer everything about football, but it's like, I played up until like I hurt myself and then it was like, okay, no more football for me. Didn't break anything, but like had a <laughs> back issue. Uh, so I was just like sitting there wondering, like, as we're watching like the competition and the movie, I'm on the couch, like, is she like super annoyed right now by me asking all these questions that are like dumb because i'm an outsider i can't believe you didn't even say that in the moment well because i wanted you to answer it in the moment on the show mm. and not have time to prepare a uh manicured answer for it mm. no i never the the thought of being annoyed never like if you had enough asked that question that never would have come to my mind okay and just me being self-conscious. Yeah. Why do I annoy you when I ask you questions about football? No. That's how I learned. I know. That's yeah. how everybody learns. You got to gotta ask questions. There was always something that in school that like I was afraid to do. I didn't want to be the person to put my hand up and ask questions because I didn't want to look stupid. Same. But I think I came to the realization at a certain point in my life that most people probably feel that way, which is why they're not raising their hands. There's always like the one kid that wants to answer a bunch of questions. And that's I mean, that's so cliche. It's in like every movie. There's always the girl that sits in front raising her hand. The teacher doesn't want to call on her because it's always her kind of thing. You know, that joke is in so many movies. Um, I mean, it's kind of in this one, too, with uh, the Joanne character. Mm -hmm. But I think the more like I got distance from it, I think people just... Like, public speaking is not something that most people like doing. And then I think being made to look foolish while public speaking is something that people like doing even less, uh, unless you're a politician. But <laughs> <laughs> then you just <laughs> you have no shame. Um, but this is not a show about politics, at least not today. It's not. Um, but I want to just like the way this movie starts, right? It starts with this sort of like not punk but like pop punk cultured music there's a weird like the movie starts with bmx and skateboarding and so it feels like it was like the x games were big at that time and they just like threw it in there to make the character more like edgy because like even in the trailer she's like oh i'm doing crime all the time or something like that and it's like ooh, airtime like it's some weird like bad joke and they end up damaging this like fancy house that's being built right and she goes to court and the judge gives her the choice between going to the military academy or going to this particular 
gymnastics gym that she, I guess, was a part of before, but is no longer a part of. And she's got some backstory, too, but we'll get to that. Um, But I put in my notes that I was like, this is some serious, like, white privilege (laughs) shit right here. She gets busted by the cops. There's a scene where she's, like, running from the police after she's damaged this house. And she's just got the biggest smile on her face as she's running away. Like, oh, my God, I do this all the time. That kind of thing. And it's like, wow, this is very tone deaf in terms of its presentation of the police. But also, in 2006... While this stuff was happening, like social media hadn't quite exploded yet. We hadn't seen like a lot of the things we've seen in the news since then. And it's it's a little bit cavalier in that. And so it kind of walks this line between wanting to maybe be more serious than it is, but also understanding that this is still a comedy at the end of the day. It's still being geared towards the same people for the most part that enjoyed Bring It On. So you can't really like make it the movie that it could be. But I found myself at the end of it wanting the sequel that never happened. I wanted to see a more serious version of this. And like the best way I could equate it would be like if Darren Aronofsky made this film. Like you look at a movie like Black Swan that kind of delves into like the psychological damage and competition of trying to make it in the ballet world. You look at the wrestler and sort of like what is asked of these guys to do to their bodies and like the little that they sort of get back from the business in a lot of cases. So I think a look at gymnastics in that light would be a very interesting and well-made film if you treated it with the same kind of fundamental respect for the sport that this one has i think there's room there to make a good well-rounded gymnastics movie that has a sort of like powerful lead performance and is a drama and maybe has some humor too but is not uh tonally limited to like a certain age range but i mean i watched this movie at almost 40 years old and I think while we were watching it, you know, I was laughing a lot and, you know, I was taking pictures and taking notes and you didn't want me to take notes the first time. So I didn't. But so I ended up watching it twice. I was worried about the notes you would be taking the first time. Well, we've only gotten into like the first few notes so far. So we'll see how (laughs) how crazy it gets from here. But I enjoyed it like so much more than I thought I would. But it also is super weird in a very enjoyable way. Yeah, I think that they didn't shy away from the weirdness or try and hide it or or even sell it as something that it wasn't with the weirdness. And I don't know, maybe the writer, I, I didn't look at who it was. Maybe it was their first project or something like it felt very much like this is like a go big or go home and we don't really care because if this is our one and done They've did it. They've done it, you know? Well, it's Benninger's <laughs> only directorial credit, but she also had written Bring It On. Uh, so she probably got the opportunity to do this film as a result of that. And like you said, might as well swing for the fences. I don't know. It seems like she probably was a gymnast. I don't know much about her, but in order to try to make this story, it seems like oddly personal if she wasn't a gymnast or if she wasn't like very close to somebody that was, I would say. Yeah, it, it would someone would have to have been on the inside to help with this movie or else they wouldn't have tried to drop those little 
you know, Easter eggs. What's happening? Well, we're at the half hour mark. I'm thinking, I'm debating whether or not I want to do trivia right now. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Screw it. We'll do trivia right now. Okay. Time for trivia. Okay, don't look at my screen. We're in the same room, so. I mean, I can't read your screen from here. I'm going to shrink the text down so you definitely can't, but then I won't I won't <laughs> I, be able to either. I can't read it from here. Stop looking. <laughs> uh, okay, question number one. Which hip-hop artist won a Best Special Effects VMA for their music video for this film? Missy Elliott? Yeah. Do you know the name of the song? I did know it. I don't remember now. That's pretty good. I mean, the answer I was looking for was Missy Elliott, but the the song is We Run This. We Run This. I was getting it confused with the song from Pitch Perfect. I don't know what that one is. The Never mind. It's Ock Amazing. <laughs> uh, ah. <laughs> question number two. This was the film debut for which Twilight Saga star? Oh, I know. I told you this. So then say it. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Kellen. He's got the same last name as the guy that used to kick for the Saints. He's on a new team now. Starts with an L, right? Yep. Lutz. Lutz? Yep. Kellen Lutz. Kellen Lutz. Ding, ding. Hey, that's two. Thank you. That's two. See, I told you it's not that bad. <laughs> it's just to include some extra tidbits, some juicy morsels. It's a lot of pressure. Some Cenobites. Ooh. Oh, it's a callback to an old commercial for this <laughs> show. Mmm. Mm. Cenobites. Anyway, all right. Question number three. Third and final question. In what state does this film take place? Texas. Texas. Why is it in Texas? Uh, like, why did they film it? Well, do you know why the story is set in Texas? Why this particular gym that is the story is taking place and why is it in Texas? Uh, no. Oh, I think the, the owner or someone involved in the movie actually owned it or something. Uh, it's quite possible, <laughs> but what I looked up based on the documentary we watched was the Caroli Ranch is in Texas. Uh, so I was like, that's not a coincidence. No, it is not. The- I thought you meant what was the reason in the movie? Oh, no. Okay. I mean, you still got the answer right, but it was just here to lead us into this little yeah. tidbit. Cause we talked earlier about how this movie, uh, is deeper and has more context than you would recognize if you're not uh, part of it. But now that it's almost 20 years down the line, a lot of this stuff has come to light. And it was Bella Caroli and his wife came over from Romania after turning that gymnastics team into, I don't know if they won like just gold medals all the time, but they were the reason that that team was successful. And so they came to the U.S. and took over the gymnastics team here. But they had a reputation of being very abusive. And it's not a coincidence either that Jeff Bridges is an older white guy in this movie and that he has this gym in Texas and that his character's history is very closely tied to gymnasts 
injuries as well. And it's an angle that they didn't explore a lot of. There's a lot of illusion to the fact that some gymnasts for him have gotten hurt in the past, but they don't really ever call back to that too much. It's not like, oh, there's some gymnast that he's not working with anymore that switched gyms that is now a rival. You know, like she has this rival at another gym, but she's not a character that comes into play until very, very late in the film. And there isn't this tension between them like she got hurt here. There's no character that her career ended like in a way that yours did due to like a massive injury because the coach pushing her too hard or anything like that. So I think it's a very subtle nod to the people that would know. Because this notorious gym run by the Corollis was in Texas and it was this kind of like sleepaway ranch where we see uh, she runs away one night or something or no, she's out walking Jeff Bridges picks her up they go to dinner he sort of like lectures her about having talent and not using it and like all the cliche stuff but they address that in that moment and you know they have that little dust up and then he basically tells her to like walk back to the camp and when she does she gets to like a giant barn and everybody's pissed at her because her attitude is causing problems with the rest of the team but I was like all of these things like can't just be like coincidental and so when I looked it up of course, I was like, oh, the, the Caroli Ranch actually was in Texas because I, I had a feeling. So I looked it up. And then when we had watched whatever documentary it was where they actually showed the ranch, there was like a large barn style structure that was like the dormitory. So I was like, this is this is very intentional. But like you wouldn't know that as just an average person. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the I'm pretty sure the Corollis still have the ranch. I don't know if it's still in Texas or not, but <clears throat> yeah, that's what I was trying to to kind of explain and not explain at the same time because I think I picked up even being in the gymnastics world, I definitely picked up way more subtleties in this go around even both times versus seeing it at in 2006 because I was aware of everything I had experienced a lot of those things but not to like I wouldn't have made the connection of the the Caroli camp and all of that kind of stuff um or Jeff Bridges role as that older white man taking advantage of I'm sure we'll get to that separately but you know yeah, I mean, it is a little bit of like revisionist history to sort of cast Jeff Bridges in this role because he has a certain type of charm and charisma that it's really hard to contain. I mean, he's still like very much the Jeff Bridges that he's been in many other things in this film. And even though they go out of their way to tell us that like he has injured many other gymnasts and there's a scene in the office where he's sort of false promising this gym mom that her kid is going to end up competing for medals in the Olympics in order to keep funding the gym. It's like this lie that they push that in order to keep the gym open and to do what he wants to do, he's got to sort of sell the idea that all of these girls are going to be competitive at the highest level, which is obviously not the case really in any sport. But they still don't really uh, cast, like, shade on him 
in that moment. Like when it's happening in the film, it's not coming across as like this horrible predatory behavior. I mean, it is, but it's very minimal because in that first scene we see it, Missy's character, right? Mm -hmm. Haley is sitting right outside the office making faces and like, you know, pretending like to make vomit faces and then gives him a hard time about it and then they drop it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like having her in that scene sort of in the background doing like clown work, for lack of a better word, it diminishes what's happening in the office. Oh, yeah. yeah and so she lectures him about it later so that the audience understands what was happening in the right. office. But in that moment, it's like you didn't need to have her in the background making faces. She could have been sitting outside the office just hearing it, and then they still have that same conversation. But the tone is changed a lot by her, like, interacting in that way, being, yeah. being a, like, a, a clown in that moment. I mean, f for lack of a better word. Yeah, I think, especially at the time before, you know, everyone is aware of what they know now, um... I think, it, again, it has to be someone very deep rooted in the gymnastics world to have these storylines and be mm -hmm. like, for those of you who know, you'll know. But for those of you who don't, this is just going to seem like a stupid scene. You know, it feels very much like that a lot of the movie in what they're trying to shed light on, but very, very gently. Yeah. And I had asked you at a certain point, uh, like how old she was. When she filmed this, and I mean, I guess that's just like a credit to her in general, because like she's on TV right now, and it's hard for me to tell the difference between her now and then. But I think she was like <laughs> 25 filming this, but she presented as if like she was like 17. And I think she was supposed to be like 18, maybe. But it just like the maturity level of the character seemed to be that of a uh, angsty teenager. Well, and it is, I think, but I think what it maybe did a disservice to is telling some of that story backwards. But again, they're trying to pull it off as more of the drama comedy, right? So they couldn't lead with what she went through with her parents and the coach and the trauma coming out of that to lead to the angst, or else it would have been a very different drama and not a comedy. Yeah, that's a good point. And like she definitely has a contentious relationship with her father, who's and the mom. one yeah. that is like sponsoring her being in this gym rather than in the military academy. And it is through her backstory, which we'll just get to that now, where like I couldn't understand why her two options for the property damage trial that she was going through were either you go to military school or you go back to this gym. Like there was no anything else. It was these two options coming out of court. And I couldn't understand that until it sort of comes to light later that her dad is uh, paying uh, an additional premium to this coach in order to have her at the school. But the, it, it leads to this big, uh, like, not shouting match, but this moment of contention between the two of them because it's like, how do you tell me that you care about me? How are you pretending to be my coach and tell me that you're in it for me when my dad is paying you extra to, like, babysit me? But in the courtroom, it it was always the dad was paying for it. Like, they said that at the beginning, so... It was kind of like a weird backdoor into it. But what it does is it opens up the door for her and Jeff Bridges character to have that conversation 
about what happened to her and why she was this highly prized, highly celebrated gymnast who's probably the most talented gymnast in America in the story. And she had a moment where she didn't choke, but she walked out of a competition. It was the Olympics, I think, that she walked out of her nationals or something. I think it was the trials because they missed whatever the next competition was because of it. And that's why it was such a... It like it, it made them miss the opportunity for the Olympics. That's why her uh, her rival was pissed at her. That's yes. why a lot of people are pissed at her. Um, but she comes clean and she's like, "Hey, I found out that my mom was like sleeping with the the coach at the other gym, and so like her family world was imploding at the time." And like it's a very serious moment in a movie that's otherwise fairly comical the rest of the way it's like she's actually like breaking down she's emotional uh and jeff bridges as well sort of like recognizes that he was was pushing her uh, needlessly in that moment like had he known that that was the reason he wouldn't have pushed her so you take this character who you've established as maybe not the best coach not the most savory in terms of his business practices and also not necessarily the best when it comes to child safety (laughs) because he's got a history of injuring his gymnast and you give him like this moment to like soften that and like rip that away and just allow him to be a normal person and feel sympathy for this other person and it's one of the many things that happens throughout the movie where like Jeff Bridges character, I think is essential to what makes the story work. And like when we were watching the trailer, I said, like, I wonder how they got Jeff Bridges to do this, because there's a scene uh, fairly early on where she's back at the gym and she has uh, her two like jabroni friends. Kellen Lutz is one of them. Come visit her. And like there's a line of dialogue that these guys have where he says like later cracker. And like there's like a really like f- stupid ass joke in the car at some point too where it's like he even looks at his friend like that was the punchline. You're supposed to laugh now. But it was like it's so bad. And <laughs> either way, these two morons come running in and they are just like talking to her and the, it comes up in conversation that they're like scaring the gym moms that are bringing their kids there. And they said something like, oh, no, those gym moms were checking us out. And Jeff Bridges says to them, it's the devil's candy, boys, like and just get out of here. And so like when I heard it the first time and wasn't taking notes, I was like, he's definitely banging some of these gym moms. And. The second time watching it the particular gym mom who believes her daughter is going to be an Olympic medalist, uh, who that's Joanne, the character who's kind of like the ditzy bitchy girl in this that nobody likes, but she does what the coach tells her. She's a good student in that way. Uh, but it is not so subtly implied (laughs) that Jeff Bridges is sleeping with her mom or at least had at some point in the past because the sort of uh tension between them when it comes to light that her daughter is not of the caliber to compete in the olympics despite having been promised that there are a lot of context clues that 
suggest that. And I asked you the second time. I said, oh, they were definitely sleeping together. And you said, yes, for sure. <laughs> so I think a lot of things like that are not super easy to pick up on if you're not invested in the movie and if you're generally sort of of the age range that wouldn't even be thinking about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I will say, though, one of my favorite scenes in the film is Haley, which is Missy Peregrine's character, uh, sort of like they've mended the relationship with her and Jeff Bridges and or at least they'd started to get along at that point. And she's encouraging him to get back on the trampoline and do uh, a layout. Right. Yeah. Which is just like explain that for people that don't know. It's like a backflip. I mean, yeah, I was trying to say, like, if you don't know what a backflip is, that's not going to explain it either. Well, backflip is more self-explanatory. Okay, fine. So it's like a backflip, but you're in a, you're not in a tucked position. You're in a fully laid out position. Thank you. (laughs) Extended (laughs) position. So it's called a layout. Uh, At least I think so. But this is where me not knowing anything about gymnastics, who knows? Could be wrong. But it sounds right. So we'll go with it. Yes. Uh, But anyway, she... She encourages him to do that. He does it. And she joking with him or he, I think, got a little overconfident. And he's like, well, how about a full? And right. Yeah. Which full is twist. Full. So they it's the layout. But you're you do also like a full circle twist at the same time. He's moving forward. No, he was moving backward. He's twisting backwards. But when he lands, his feet are behind him. So it bounces him forward. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I'm making it, hand gestures like they're gonna see. Yeah, so do I. Okay. Whatever. Sometimes when I'm on camera with the other person, it's so you can see my hand yeah. gestures. Okay. When I make shadow puppets. Uh <laughs> but he does this move and it's like this sweet moment of him like connecting with the team and it's like, okay, we're gonna start all working together towards this common goal and we're gonna get ready for this, and it's like this bonding moment, and it's like so abruptly interrupted by him missing his landing because he goes shooting off of the trampoline head first and like lands hard and i burst out laughing during that moment and he gets up and turns around he's like call the ambulance and i don't think he suffers like a serious injury or anything from it but it is like a weird uh beat comedically to insert that into that moment like because nothing else like funny was happening maybe it it felt like it needed a joke and i mean it worked it caught me off guard i did not expect him to get injured (laughs) in that moment and i think sort of that maybe unintentional intentional humor uh really worked there oh but what i wanted to do was uh look up the cinematographer because as we talked about sort of scenes that i'm uh talking about like the first introduction scene to jeff bridges is you got all of the sort of gymnasts in a line and he's coaching them and they all are doing like uh handstand splits Mm -hmm. i don't know what that would actually be called but they're all in handstand position and doing the splits and like one by one they go down the row almost like it's synchronized swimming Mm -hmm. and then he's standing there sort of looking intimidating uh at the end of that line and that whole sequence with him in the gym at the very beginning is shot almost with this like menacing intent even though like the music doesn't match that it's just the visual presentation where he's shot from the bottom 
as if he's up on this podium and it's just like him in a wide shot. So he's very small on the screen and this whole setup of the steps and the red background and it, it looks very clean and it's something that I enjoyed a lot. It's Darren Okada who did the cinematography and I mean, let's see. Oh, some station 19 Grey's anatomy stick it just like heaven paparazzi mean girls. That makes sense. Baby mama, Joe, somebody Dr. Doolittle too. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, it's got like 60 credits. Um, but there's also a lot of moments that incorporate the actual like physicality of the gymnasts into the cinematography. And one of my favorite scenes is like this kind of kaleidoscopic moment where it's looking at the, the basically like the tumbling mat, right? Where they do the floor exercise in the gym mm-hmm. and it's shot like top down and it's all overexposed on top of each other. So you get this moment where sort of it's all just like undulating on top of itself and it's a great shot. And later, I think they're working the uneven bars. It is, but they shoot it like it's just a high bar. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they transition, but yeah. Uneven so, bars. So they shoot it where uh, the bar is shot not horizontally, so not like you would see on TV. So you're not facing the gymnast head on. It's shot uh, from profile position. So you don't really see the bar, but it is this long exposure overlapping all of these different routines and techniques and it just presents in a way that I think was much more elevated than a lot of the rest of the film around it. But the fact that it had those moments actually like was very interesting. And they do some stuff with Haley alone in the gym when she's practicing her floor routine. Um, and that, I mean, I guess the floor routine, like in the way that it's presented because you have uh, floor music is this thing of the, the the spotlight, I guess, in, in a way that some of the other competitions are. And it seems like the floor routine, at least the way it's presented in this movie, is like the top of the food chain when it comes to the competitions. Is that accurate? I mean, is floor the hardest? I wouldn't say floor is the hardest. It could be. Depending, well, if you're Simone Biles doing crazy tricks, right? But I wouldn't say the floor is the hardest, but it's the one where, as the gymnast, you get to actually enjoy the event versus vault bars and beam are very much, while there's artistry to it, it's um a lot more, not strict, but structured, I guess you could say, where... Floor gives the the gymnast so much room to be creative and more artistic and do it with music. So when you're at a competition, most of the audience is going to be watching the floor exercise because of that, too. Yeah. As we were watching the competition on the Peacock or whatever that we were watching, I was asking you, like, does the whole building 
like hear the music that's playing for the floor exercise because all of the events are running concurrently. So there's someone on floor while someone else is doing bars, while someone else is doing vault, while someone else is doing balance beam. But only one of those gets music and everybody else is listening to the music. So that's why I said that like floor is sort of like the highlight event, even though like it maybe isn't. It kind of is at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely a highlight event in that the best of the best, everyone's going to be like, I can't wait to see their floor routine because there's more room to be, like I said, push the artistry versus you can push some artistry on the beam, but you're focusing on staying on that four inch piece of wood and not (laughs) falling off of Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I guess my question would be like when you start to entertain the question of like who is the best gymnast in the world does the person who is the best at the uneven bars or the person who's best at the vault or the person who's best at the beam do those like does that carry over or is it always like the person who is the gold medalist or the world champion in floor is the best gymnast in the world I mean, I think it's all relative to a certain degree because in theory, it should be the the gymnast who can perform the best on every event, right? It should be a collective versus like we've got our beam champ. I mean, you can do that, obviously, but having a beam champion from you know like say Simone Biles is beam champion but she didn't compete on any other event that's great she's a master at beam Mm -hmm. but then you've got thousands of gymnasts competing all four events does that make sense like yeah well that's what I'm asking but you know when I was saying like do I ask like do I annoy you with stupid questions is kind of one of those questions but it's my understanding that there is individual medals handed out for the events but then there's also an all-around and so, yeah. so how is that determined then? So the all around is usually, or at least it used to be, um, the average of all your event scores. Okay. And is that only at the Olympics or is that through like all qualifying stages? All quali- all levels of competition. So is the person that's the all around champion considered to be the best gymnast or just like the most well-rounded? And does that make them the best? Because, I mean, we see with... Uh, an athlete like Simone we talked about this when we were watching her perform like just the next closest person isn't close yet like she's just she's so much better than the next person that I don't think there's any question whether or not she's the best which is maybe you know I look at it from a lot of different sports and how you sort of shape the conversations around that, where it's like, look, every offseason, there's always like, is LeBron better than Michael Jordan? Like, (laughs) seriously, every offseason when there's no basketball to talk about, that same stupid conversation pops up. But with something like gymnastics, like Simone's been dominant for so long and the next closest is not quite there yet. It's just something where like she's going to age out. Or she'll just stop. I mean, she almost I don't I wouldn't say that she almost retired, but she had a moment where she had to not compete because of like danger to herself and lack of confidence and other things with what is it called? The Wizzies? 
Twisties. Twisties. Yeah, it was pretty close. That was close. The, Maybe like, Wizzies is your product. <laughs> Wizzies. So I yeah, I I I don't know the sport well enough. You know, I only really watch it at the Olympics, but we watch it at home a couple of times that weren't a part of the Olympics. And to see Simone on floor, it's like I guess because there's no apparatus everything has to be generated just from you which is more a sign of like sort of your athletic dominance because it's yeah there's nothing to rely on to generate momentum other than your body so i think that's where like the gap between her and maybe the next person excels but when we watched her on uneven bars at that event she killed it like she it she had a insane. great routine yeah she's yeah. so good and She's so fluid and so powerful in her movement that there it's a noticeable difference between like her and the next closest person. But the, realistically, like the next best person is probably still on Team USA, right? Yeah, I think to compare as far as the best gymnast or best kind of label goes, I think it's it's one of those things where if you look at it from a big picture, right, if you can master and get a gold on all four events and have the highest all around score because of it. That's like the best of the best. That's pretty indisputable. Yeah. I, I won everything and had all the highest <laughs> right. scores. So it's similar. Like if you look like we were talking about, I can't remember what the context was, but we're talking about, you know, you, the, all these gymnasts get a minute, maybe a minute and a half on the event to practice before they're expected to perform one time. So if you look at that, com like one routine on four events, plus adding all of those together to get your all around score. It's like I'm going to try and use an MMA comparison, yeah, but it's like they do three to five rounds. Right. And then they average the scores. I'm pretty sure. No, it's total cumulative score. But okay. there is but best out of each round. Right. Um, no, not. Well, it's a 10 point must system, which is borrowed from boxing. So it doesn't really work for MMA that well. But it's like the person who wins the round gets a 10 unless they have a foul, in which case. They won the round, but the point deduction causes a tie. So there's weird judging there, too. But Right. But it's you're still looking at us. You can recover from a bad round. Right. You can recover from a bad round and still win the title or a belt from doing the same thing for, you know, five rounds, five minutes, whatever. And then in a sport like this, you're getting one chance to perform the routine perfectly for four events. Yeah, and when we had talked about it, I said the closest, like, comparable thing would probably be ice skating because mm -hmm. it is uh, sort of, like, routine and trick-based, scored on difficulty and execution. And in ice skating, they have long and short program, which I think would be interesting to introduce into gymnastics, but they just recently switched the whole scoring system uh, there as well. But if you look at something like Beam uneven bars floor and the other one i'm missing vault. vault like those are all very different skill sets to learn right so to be expected to be the best on all four of them at once is unlikely anyway like that it would be very hard to be like oh i've just i've mastered like my best routine on every event and it also happens to be like the best routine in the world in all four events as well so i think it's fairly unlikely to like have that as the standard 
right? Which is why they give out medals for individual events and they do all around and they do team, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to contribute to being on the team. There's a lot of ways to sort of achieve individual status and it's like hey i won a gold medal in uneven bars like i'm obviously one of the best gymnasts in the world and like this is true right and i think it's a good thing because otherwise it's like simone's gonna have a very heavy bag full of (laughs) gold and silver and bronze uh to take with her at some point but i think what i wanted to touch on was we, we've gotten way out into the weeds of just talking about gymnastics in general, but that's fine. Uh, we had talked. No, I'm, I want to I leave it in because I don't think gymnastics is a sport that is well represented by sports media for the most part. Like they fall in love with it when it's the Olympics and when Simone is good for ratings. But aside from that, it's sort of like cast aside like a lot of Olympic events and one of the things that we talked about while watching it was like, why is there not just like a regular season like they do with football where the focus on like how good these athletes are matters? I would say women's gymnastics is maybe the one American sport where the women's is more popular than the men's, right? WNBA, they have a lingerie football league because nobody else is going to watch otherwise. You know, I mean, the LPGA, all of this, like when compared to their male counterparts, the the male version of the sport is always the dominant version. But I would say that with gymnastics and probably with figure skating, too, the female side of the sport is the dominant side. So to see that there isn't kind of like the infrastructure in place to make like athletic careers for these people, because the Olympics are only like once every four years and then. The rest of the time you're training for the Olympics and sure there's competitions and you can win some money here and there. But I would argue that while I don't know her pocketbook, I I would hazard a guess that Simone Biles makes the vast majority of her money on sponsorships. Oh, yeah. Because I know the Olympics don't pay that well. No. Yeah, I would say sponsorships for sure. I mean, it's it's cool to also see a lot of the gymnasts end up having their own leotard lines. Um, so they get to get creative as well. That's cool. But how many leotards are you selling? I mean, I don't think that's where they're making their money. I'm just saying it's fun. <laughs> it, they get to that. They get to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it definitely would be from sponsorships. Yeah. And my point was more just about like the infrastructure for these people to have uh, incentive to like compete and we talked about going to see like a ucla meet because these are probably young women that are in like their 18 to 22 range where a lot of gymnasts are like at 16 17 and if i remember correctly from the documentary we watched there was a time up until probably uh it probably was nadia wasn't she super young when she did the olympics she was like 16 or something yeah she was i think she's why the age is 16 yeah Because if I remember the documentary correctly, Olympic gymnastics was like a women's sport. Like women in their 20s and 30s were doing gymnastics. And then this little 14, 15 year old came along and just decimated everybody. And it was like now the standard is set that you can compete at this age. And I mean, it happened in snowboarding, too, where these I think it was one of the X Games 
maybe it was the Olympics not that long ago where the two uh, Japanese snowboarders came in, I think at like 15 and 16 years old. And I think they won gold and silver or they medaled both and just like super impressive. But when you're super young and you've been training your body a certain way for X amount of time, like you have a very good strength to weight ratio, which makes you a very, uh, not it doesn't automatically make you good but it makes you much easier to mold as a gymnast than picking it up at 15 or 16 and then doing it into adulthood in your 20s and 30s right but we had talked about like i want to see a professional track and field league that has events because i love track and field but i only get to watch it once every four years because it's not really focused on but the way that we sort of prioritize like stick and ball and team sports really doesn't leave a lot of like meat left on the bone for all these other endeavors of like great athleticism like i can't tell you how many times like we watch the nfl and they put like they put a speed tracker like in this guy's uniform. So it'd be like, this guy was running 22 miles an hour on this play. It's like, yeah, you know who else runs fast? Sprinters. (laughs) Every sprinter in the world is faster than this guy. So like, why are you obsessed with his speed when there's so many other faster people out there? But you get a guy like uh, Marquise Goodwin, who played for the Seahawks, played for the 49ers. I think he's still playing. I don't remember where he's at right now, though. But he was a long jumper in college. And then it was like, well, I can either long jump or I can play in the NFL. And his skill set as just being fast got him into the NFL. And it's like, is he an elite level receiver in the NFL? No, he's not even close, but he's fucking fast. So, I mean, we're way out there now, but <laughs> I did look it up. Reel there, it back there, in. No, no, no. There is a professional track and field league. I think it's called the TFL. And I've never heard of it until I looked it up. But... uh I was like super into the idea. So now I have to like find a way to go to one of these events and watch pole vault and sprinting and all this stuff. And the Olympics are coming to LA. So what is that? 28? Yeah. Because right? next year is Paris, I think. Yeah. I think they delayed it because our infrastructure wasn't ready in time. So Shocker. they moved a bit. Uh, right. We can't handle rain. How are we going to handle the Olympics? Oh, God. Imagine if it's raining during the Olympics. Oh, God. <laughs> LA is going to melt down. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not really optimistic. There's a moment in this film. We're going to get back to the film. But we're talking about, you know, all this other stuff happening. But in this movie, there comes a moment where Haley is trying to take the pressure off of her teammates by telling them, like, imagine the judges in their underwear or something like that. And then it it becomes this very weird scene of all the judges having, like, their own musical number where they do this song and dance routine and you know it's it's very strange but when we talked about sort of like the musical dna that exists in this movie that's part of it and another part of it is that the judges play such a large role in gymnastics and especially at that time but this was still in 2006 when it was a perfect 10 scoring system right and we talked about it a little bit but there is a moment of sort of uh, heated dialogue between one of the judges and between Jeff Bridges as they're trying to explain a deduction to him. And I think the reason that it's in the film is because of how ridiculous some of these deductions are. And in the movie, it happens to be that uh, her bra strap is showing. 
and so she gets a deduction. But in reading a little bit about it too, uh, it was the reason that they used the stickum spray from at least what I read, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was so that the leotard doesn't ride up. But it was it was written that if a gymnast, while like in the routine, pulls the wedgie from her butt, that's an automatic deduction as well. Yep. It's also why I said when we were watching it, I was like, or not watching Stick It, but I, I pointed it out during Stick It as to the reference in the actual gymnastics we were watching of the competition with Simone, where I'm like, since when are they allowed to have their nails painted and acrylics and like certain things in their hair make they're wearing makeup? When I was competing, your nails were not allowed to be painted. You did get a deduction if you picked your wedgie, if your bra was showing, your underwear was showing. Um, if you, you know, like most gymnasts will put their hair back in a tight bun with clips to mm-hmm. keep all the little hairs back because if you like touch your face and hair it's a deduction if a clip falls out while you're on floor and tumbling and a judge sees it they'll de- give you a deduction so yeah it was it was definitely paying tribute to the ridiculousness of it but that's why i'm surprised now and watching the competitions in real time why that's allowed all of a sudden or i don't know when it became allowed but it wasn't when I was competing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I brought it up. And like while we were watching it, you know, we had just watched the actual competition and we had talked about the scoring system and how it's different than it used to be. And I was asking you if this movie had a direct impact on the change of the scoring system, because it's probably the first time that the general public was ever introduced to some of like the ridiculous nature of the judges and how impactful their like opinions were in the scoring system. And, you know, maybe it was subtle, maybe it wasn't, but the way that the movie sort of unfolds and what it, what happens at the end of the film where all of the gymnasts sort of agree to what do they, they scratch, right? Yeah. They basically forfeit their turn in order to control the results because of this instance with this girl's bra showing. But that's why I was curious if this movie had an impact on changing that because all of the little deductions that you were mentioning, they're not technical deductions. Like this isn't, oh, you stepped out of bounds or you didn't stick the landing or you missed your hand. This is all like vain superficial stuff like oh your hair clip fell out uh your bra strap was showing kind of stuff and you know i didn't think of it at the time but i don't know when the rules changed yeah i don't either i'm curious because like i said i've been removed from a coaching side for too long um and i haven't I mean, I I still do want to go to a UCLA competition, but the lower level competitions where it's they're pretty much high school age and under is where these deductions are taking place. I don't know to what degree it either dropped or wasn't implemented as much in a college level to then the Olympic level. Um, But it is interesting. Well, are you Googling? Thank God for the Internet, (laughs) because. According to this entry on Wikipedia, it says in 2006, same year as the movie, 
The code of points in the entire gymnastics scoring system were completely overhauled. The change stemmed from the judging controversy at the 2004 Olympics in Athens, which brought the reliability and objectivity of the scoring system into question and arguments that execution had been sacrificed for difficulty in artistic gymnastics. That makes sense. The timing is interesting. So yeah, 2004, that controversy happens. Then 2006, the movie is made. And 2006, the rules change. So again, like it happened at the Olympics where the most eyeballs are going to be on the sport. And the average person is going to be like, this doesn't make sense to me. And then two years later, which probably took a year to two years to actually make the movie. So it probably did stem from that event yeah, at the Olympics. Yeah, 2004. And then in that same year, the rules are changed. So I am going to say that, yes, it did impact. Good observation, babe. I know. Thank you. I do my homework. I take notes. Um, <laughs> so proud. But yeah, so like in this film, that in, that moment happens where the girl's bra is showing. They take the point off so she doesn't get the score that she's supposed to get. And it gets everybody heated. And then Haley, who's the rebel, who's also the best gymnast, decides that she's going to forfeit her turn and then all of her friends follow suit. And what it does is it gives them power over who's going to win which event. And then we meet her rival for the first time in the last five minutes of the film, which, you know, it would have been nice to have like a real rivalry between the two of them. But the rivalry is more like the bitchy girl, Joanne, that can't compete with her, but just happens to be <laughs> in her sphere. And like their personalities are in competition more so than their actual gymnastic skills. You gonna finish that thought? That's the end of the thought. Oh, okay. Oh, but in that moment where he's arguing with the judge over, like, why it shouldn't be a deduction, I love that he becomes so animated that he's like, her bra strap, he's like, she's flipping through the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually nice to have that moment because... He's definitely set up to be very easily hated. I yeah. mean, I hated him immediately um, until the final moments, I would say. So it, it was a nice moment for him to, especially as the role he's playing in um, of power, to also be able to get a little bit of understanding in what they're actually probably going through. Yeah. And... You know, it's not the only moment where they sort of give him that moment of leniency. Uh, we had talked sort of about that scene where Haley is observing him lying to one of the other moms about the chances of being in the Olympics, etc. And then it gets to the point where he is confronted with the mom that he very much was having an affair with at some point. And that moment where he has to own up to her and just he says like well i guess i lied like in that moment you should hate him because of like what he's he's manipulated this mom he's seemingly had a personal relationship with her he's lied to her daughter like there's a lot of n bad things surrounding that but by the time that you actually get to that scene they spent so much time building up the dislike for Joanne's character. Uh, and it's right before that where Joanne finally has a moment where you are on her side and they sort of pit her against her mother. She's like, she wants to like go on a date with boys. Or something. She wants to go to homecoming or prom or something. And 
she's like so excited about it and her mom comes in very bitchy and is like no you're in this for gymnastics there's not going to be any of that and so she's like very deflating of her daughter so when they like introduce the mom in this moment they clearly make her out to be like the villain that doesn't understand and so that moment of jeff bridges sort of like having to come clean and be like yeah i lied to you about all that is like a moment that works for me in his favor because he just has to own it like there's nothing he can say other than like i bullshitted you and oh well like your daughter's not good enough uh so I don't know. It isn't it is not necessarily a good indication of his character that he <laughs> arrived there, but they do a decent enough job. And Jeff Bridges is just like I said, he's just he's Jeff Bridges. Like he's such a charismatic charismatic screen presence that it's hard to dislike him. And I don't see him cast as the villain very often probably for that reason. Although he was the villain in Iron Man, but still pretty charismatic. Yeah. I think now it's probably a good time to go to Critics Corner. What does that mean? That means we get to read all of the nasty comments that the critics had about this movie when it came out. Oh, fun. You ready? Yep. Okay, let's go. Where did I put it is the question. I've got so many tabs open. There we go. Okay, I'm going to start at the bottom and work our way to the top, as we always do on this show. Starting at the bottom, you've got a 30 out of 100 from Stephen Hunter at the Washington Post. He says, instead of gold medal winning, last-minute heroics, the movie weirdly becomes about the scandal of arbitrary gymnastics judges. Is it a movie or an episode of Real Sports? It veers into fresh territory, but not dramatically satisfying territory. So this is kind of the issue that I had with the film, is that I felt like there is substantial depth there, depth there for it to be like a good drama. But it does veer off into this other territory, and it becomes a referendum on like the scoring in the sport when it seemed like it was going to be this sort of heroic return to competition for this girl, and then it just like, doesn't go in that direction. So I understand what he's saying, but I enjoyed a lot of the other things about it enough to, to still get it over the hump and have it be a movie that I like, not uh, this 30 out of 100. <laughs> That's harsh. That is harsh. Uh, the next one up on the food chain is a 40. 40 out of 100 from the LA Times. This guy is Kevin Crust. Terrible name. That's not a name you want. Um, the film strives for some type of girl empowerment message that equates trading one type of conformity for another with self-determination but muffs the dismount and stumbles on the landing. In other words, it fails to stick it. So, as we talked about earlier, uh, a man who has likely never <laughs> competed in gymnastics in his life, using a lot of uh, gymnastics terms to try to make his point here. Uh, that is horribly written. Yeah. I mean, sorry, Mr. Crust, but I think it does send a message of girl empowerment i mean the film ends with like all the girls on the same team taking over a sport that has cost them a lot physically uh and just in terms of time and like they show you throughout the film that like these girls don't have a life outside of gymnastics so i think it is actually a empowering moment for them at the end uh 
I, I would agree more with the guy who rated it lower. <laughs> Although, uh, Mr. Crust, we're just gonna we're gonna leave that one behind. We're gonna move on. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six fifties. Wow. So <laughs> most people were just like, it is a five out of ten, right smack dab in the middle. But we've got the A V Club, the Chicago Tribune, Austin Chronicle, Christian Science Monitor, oh uh, LA Weekly, and USA Today. Uh, I'll let you pick, and I think I think we'll go with two fifties just for fun because there's so many. Let's go with USA Today. USA Today says Bridges actually does a fine job in an uninteresting role, but this chick flick is all about <laughs> attitudinal teenagers. <laughs> Claudia Puig from USA Today. Um, she sounds like a mom with teens. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave it at that, and we'll move on to another one. You've got AV Club, Tribune, Chronicle, Christian Science Monitor, and LA Weekly left on the board. Let's go with Tribune. Chicago Tribune. I think this was Roger Ebert's paper? Hmm. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think so. I don't think this is Ebert, though. It says, Stick It reels from its own frenetic pace. The music is loud, the camera cuts are incessant, and everything seems geared towards distracting us from what's going on on screen, which is not much. So that's a very middle-of-the-road, like, non-existent criticism of the film. But it's like, hey, it's fast paced and there's stuff happening, but not really. <laughs> so n- not a not a great one there. But uh, the good thing is we've got two pretty high scores left on the board with the Seattle Post Intelligencer, which is an 83. It says it's a sports empowerment fantasy of the best kind. And wow. I think that's a really good way to put it. Sports empowerment fantasy. Because you look at a lot of sports movies that are revered like rudy or remember the titans or field of dreams where like there's ghost baseball you know (laughs) (laughs) rocky like there's a lot of these movies that sort of like fantasize and romanticize the the achievement in sport where the ultimate thing in the movie that makes it like worth your time is the achievement at the end where that's really not the case here like the achievement becomes the secondary to making this particular statement about the sport and i mean considering this is like your first film as a director and you're coming off of uh bring it on and you may not get another chance it's a ballsy move to be like we're gonna abandon that moment that every other sports movie has where there is this dramatic winning moment where she overcomes all the things that have stood in her way she gets back out there on the floor and she has like that monumental floor routine that wins her a gold medal which she does have the floor routine that does win her a gold medal in the competition but it is planned planned it is a fixed competition at that point so there's no actual competition she just gets to perform the floor routine and do it in a way that showcases her skills. And so it's a very different uh, methodology in terms of sports filmmaking. Yep. Last but not least, the New York Times, a spry teenage comedy. Sorry, this is a 90 from the New York Times. 90 out of 100. Ooh. That's pretty good. This is America's paper of record. So 
A 90 out of 100 says something, I guess. Uh, A spry teenage comedy that gets everything right. Stick It takes the usual batch of underdogs, dirtbags, mean girls, and bimbos, (laughs) and sends them somersaulting through happy cliches and unexpected invention. I think that's a very nice way to look at it. Yeah. You know, I think it really nails a lot of the character dynamics that the movie is going for. Uh, It highlights some of those cinematography choices and some of those uh, framing decisions and some of the sort of direction to have these moments of like the montage of the gym training that is in a lot of sports movies as well. So I think I think in that way, um, it actually it actually lands like basically in everything that it wants to do some, you know, dated stuff going on. But at the same time, like, you know, sooner or later, every movie is going to be dated. And it's just how I think it says more about the early 2000s than it does about this film. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the film was made because of the time it was at, not the other way around. But I was what I was going to say earlier is that. It's what you were saying was speaking to the go big or go home moment by, yes, we're going to be weird. Um, yeah, if you only have you only got one shot. Might as well take it. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Uh, and it's not a movie that I ever would have thought I was going to watch. And it's definitely not a movie I thought I would watch twice. <laughs> uh, but. I wanted to do my due diligence and made sure I take notes and I sort of like answered some of my own questions and was able to refine my notes. So it wasn't just an hour and a half of me asking you to explain the movie to me, which would have been fine. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad I watched it, though. And, you know, we already talked about Bring It On and uh, Jessica Bettinger wrote Bring It On. But at the end of all my shows, I always ask my guests if somebody enjoyed Stick It and you wanted to recommend another movie to them, or if someone hasn't seen Stick It, but there's a movie that you think would get them to watch Stick It, what's that movie? Oh, wow. Or if it helps, maybe frame it as, what's a movie you would like double feature it with? You can say bring it on, but you know, we've already talked about that, so Yeah, I mean bring it on is pretty spot on. <laughs> um I don't know. Just think it's okay. Maybe Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday, huh? Why is that? It's okay. We watched Wild Wild West and then somebody recommended Schindler's list. <laughs> so I don't know how those two connect, but uh, I guess he was just like, well, if you want to watch an actually good movie, that's mm. the exact opposite of Wild Wild West. Watch Schindler's List. Okay. Well, the other movie I've been really upset about not being able to find for so many years, um, because I think it was a Lifetime movie, mm-hmm. was a gymnastics movie. Oh, okay. Called Little Girls in Pretty Boxes. Sounds like a horror movie. I mean, it was sad. It was more it drama, like less comedy. Yeah. But definitely, I think, hit on the undertones of Stick It. So those stories they're trying to poke holes at, but make a lot of light of, that movie was more 
punch to the stomach. (laughs) As far as if you watched Little Girls in Pretty Boxes, I think you'd have enough context to understand Stick It a little bit more. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So there you go. That's a good devil pairing. Um, Thank you. I guess if I... I don't always offer these up when I do the show because I typically leave it to the guests, but... There's an ice skating movie from 1992 called The Cutting Edge. <gasps> oh my gosh, my favorite. <laughs> and just because of the particular words uh, that I saw in one of the reviews, uh, the premise for this movie is a temperamental figure skater and an arrogant former hockey player attempt to win Olympic gold medal as a figure skating pair's team. And I love this movie. Yeah, it's, I, I think, tone wise. They're definitely in the same neighborhood. They both sort of focus around like trying to win gold. There's a lot of hurdles in the way. There's attitude, um, but it is still kind of like a romantic comedy. So I I think that's a good one. If you're going to if you're going to do that as a double feature, like if you were programming movies and you had these two together, I'd be like, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, I told your sister to watch this movie if she hadn't watched it already because of the ice skating. I love that movie. We talked about it recently. Oh, that's cool. Or within this year. Okay. Well, there you go. And that's how we do it. That's the show. Thanks for having me, babe. Thank you for being here. Uh, We may or may not get our podcast off the ground at some point. It'll be (laughs) like my third or fourth show. And then if if I end up getting this other football show that isn't mine technically, but I would be hosting it. Uh... It would be less work because I don't have to produce it, but I still have to record. So I don't know. Who knows? This is going to be me. And just make podcast One podcast a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> um, but We can make it a 2024 goal. Yeah. It's around the corner. Yeah, because I know you don't have like your own show right now, but you do the football picks with me on Saturdays on the Shice podcast. We do the Pick'em Show, and at the end of the Pick'em Show, you always say, Happy Football Sunday, but this isn't a, this isn't about football. It's not going to be Sunday, so I'm going to sign off with Happy Podcast Friday. Aw. <laughs> I like it. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening, uh, and good night. Good night. Thank you once again to Kristen for joining me. It's been a long time coming. She has been my biggest supporter, my strongest advocate, and without her, I wouldn't be able to do this show. So, thank you, babe. And you can catch her and I on the Shice Podcast, bullshitting football picks and seeing how we do every week. And of course, thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, please consider leaving a rating and telling a friend about it. And the new support page is live at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash bad movies we love. I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a bad movie you love and or maybe would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me now at badmovieswelove at thescheiss.com or badmovieswelove on Twitter and Instagram. And that's love with an L-U-V. And as always, take care, be well, stay safe, and have fun however you get your movies.